Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. the book of Romans, and we've gone chapter one, chapter two, um, and we're on chapter three this week, and as I've said before, I don't really have a long time to go back and do a lot of recaps and stuff, so if you miss any of this, we always post pretty much the next day on our podcast, that's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Um, and then also, uh, you can always go back and watch the live stream on on Facebook, but uh, if you you hadn't been here for some of this and you want to go back and re-listen, I encourage you to do that, but going into chapter three of Romans, of course, we, we gave a big uh, introduction to it the first night, talking about Paul and, and who he's speaking to and, and what's going on there, and, and really, in short, um, there are a lot of ex-Jewish people that uh, were, were very used to the rules and the regulations that God had set before them as Old Testament Jewish people. And now they're saved, and now they're in the church, and now they're coming to the realization of how to live under the grace that comes through the blood of Jesus. And it's very difficult for them because they've lived for thousands of years. It's been passed on from generation to generation that your salvation or um, the, uh, the protection from the wrath of God because of sin in your life doesn't come uh, freely. It comes because we do all these rituals correctly. And that's really what they're battling with because uh, they, they can't get it through their, through their mind uh, that now that Jesus has come, that, that God has lifted all of those rituals and he's lifted all those laws and now the law is written in our heart and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Not saying that there's not things that God says, don't do this and do this, but it's not for your salvation, it's because of your salvation, Amen. And so uh, he's really having to deal with this because um, there, were, uh, there was an issue there in the, in the Roman church. And what it was was, was, uh, there, was there was such an uproar that happened uh, that the emperor of Rome had to uh, tell the Jewish people to, to leave uh, because there, were, there, were, there was just so many uh, fights over doctrinal issues and it was causing unrest in the town. So they had to leave. And uh, in the process of them leaving, the Gentiles were kind of left to themselves. And so they're mixing their newfound Christianity with their old religions, just like the Jewish people were doing. Jewish people were mixing uh, their old Jewish customs and religion or, or, and rules and regulations with newfound Christianity. And it was getting all muddled together. And so the Jewish people out of the picture, the Gentile people were able to kind of uh, do what they wanted to do. And they were kind of interpreting things loosely. Uh, and then the Jewish people came back. And as they came back, they started realizing how, um, how kind of messed up the church had gotten. And so that created more uh, issues between the Gentiles and the Jews. And Paul is coming along and he is attempting to straighten this stuff out. And as he's attempting to straighten this stuff out, he is speaking to the Jewish people on uh, trying to convince them as as to why this doesn't work anymore. And then he's also at the same time trying to correct the Gentiles 
uh, for bringing in their worldly uh, stuff into the church and trying to make it correct. And so we'll back up just a little bit in chapter two just so you can see some of the things that he's dealing with. So for instance, we left off last week in, the, in chapter two, verse 25, and, he, and he's, he's talking about, because they were very, very strict on circumcision And because circumcision, if you can remember correctly, it was the covenant that God made with Abraham. And it was a way to distinguish that Abraham was the chosen people. So from Abraham, and we call him Father Abraham because he was, he was the first one of, uh, uh, of the chosen people and his bloodline uh, became uh, the nation of Israel. And so as that began to happen, the, the sign or the, uh, I guess the signature of, of, the, uh, of God's chosen people were everybody else in the world, all the Gentiles of the world were uncircumcised, but the Jewish people were circumcised. And of course, the first ones that be circumcised were grown men, but the ones that came after that, uh, they were to be circumcised on the eighth day of, after they were born. And so this was a major part of the, the signature of them being God's people. And so the Jewish people began to say, okay, we believe that Jesus is the Savior, and we believe that, that, that Jesus came not just to die for us uh, Jewish people, but they also, he also came to die for the Gentiles. We can accept all that. But if they're going to accept our God, then they have to accept our rules and regulations. And one of those were, were that they wanted all grown men or not, they wanted everybody to be circumcised. And uh, you can obviously see how that creates problems it created a problem for me. And so <laughs> Paul is attempting to straighten this out. Verse 25 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And so what Paul's attempting to say is, is that no one is perfect in keeping the law. If you're going to keep the entire law, then yeah, it'll be profitable for you. But Nobody's going to be able to keep the entire law. So therefore, your, your circumcision doesn't matter what your physical body looks like. It becomes, in God's eyes, you're breaking the law of God. Therefore, he says, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law. So if there's someone who is not physically circumcised, but he keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not that phys- uh, physically uncircumcised, uh, I'm sorry, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? So what he's saying is, he says, listen, you got to understand, if you're circumcised but you don't keep the righteous requirements of the law, you become like an uncircumcised person. That's like telling them, They have no covenant with God anymore. He says, but even if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the righteous requirement of the law, he'll end up judging you, a circumcised person, because you didn't do what was required. And of course, what Paul is trying to get to is the righteous requirement of the law is to ask for forgiveness from Jesus and accept him into your heart and, and accept the blood that he spilled for you as the atonement, as, and we're going to find out here in a minute, the propitiation, and that is the righteous requirement of the law. And if you're unwilling to do that, then you haven't even met the New, uh, the new Testament law uh, according to God, and your circumcision on the outside doesn't do anything, but that uncircumcised man actually can go through to places where you think your circumcision is going to get you. I know that kind of sounds a little bit strange, but let's continue. Um, 
And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that is outward in the flesh. Verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one, on, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but it is from God. So he's trying to get them to see that that stuff through Jesus was done away with. And now uh, you're not a a Jew, meaning you're not a chosen one of God just because you're circumcised or you call yourself, or you're a Jewish person on the outside. Now God's looking on the inside and he's looking for you to meet the righteous requirement of the law and that is whether you're a, a Jewish person that accepts Jesus or whether you're a Gentile that accepts Jesus, now you're a part of the family of God and now the circumcision is not taking place on the outward but the circumcision is taking place by the cutting away of the old sinful life and being re- reborn again as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? So it keeps going on. Um, chapter 3. So he kind of had to say all this so we can pick, pick up here because he doesn't stop with his statement just because we're going to a new chapter. It's a continuation of the conversation. So he says, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? And that's a question, but then he answers the question. He said, much in every way. He says, so what is the advantage? Much. So he's not... He's not degrading them, he's saying what you have is great advantage. Um, And he goes on and he says, much in every way, chiefly, so meaning the, the, the biggest thing that it's an advantage to you is because to them were committed the oracles of God, meaning to the Jewish people were committed the words of God. So you were the chosen people. God brought this to the whole world through you. So your circumcision is a great advantage. And the reason why it's an advantage is because you, you are God's chosen people. And God brought this, what, what we're arguing about right now, God brought this all the way through you, right? He says, uh, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Verse 3, for what, is, what if some did not believe? So he says, what if, what if there were some of those uh, that we know that, that just didn't believe Uh, Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And he said, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you're judged. Of course, we could probably stay a while on that. And I I love how he said that. He He said, so what if there was some that didn't believe? Would that have basically nullified what God wanted to do? He said, certainly not. Uh, God, would have, God would have made it work with somebody, but Abraham believed. And because Abraham believed, then this whole lineage, this whole spiritual lineage came through 
the Jewish people because they became God's nation. They became God's people. But it wasn't because uh, of anything other than he found a man that would believe. And that's, and that's something to be credited. So he's trying to help them to see that I'm not telling you that everything that was done was, was to not. Everything that was done should be to your credit and should be to your forefathers' credit. And you need to rejoice in this and stop trying to hinder now that God has gotten what he wanted to accomplish through Jesus, through your lineage. Let's not, let's not, um, let, let's not muddy that by trying to hold on to stuff that God said when Jesus came about, he really just did away with all that. Let's get in line and let's, let's begin to go with what God is doing. So it says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? He said, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And then he goes into some stuff, and this is going to sound a little confusing, uh, but you kind of have to understand that's why I went back a little bit. You have to understand he's arguing with these people that cannot let go of the fact that God is doing something differently now because they just want to keep all that. And he, over and over, um, Paul, especially in the book of Hebrews, he is constantly battling this, saying that Jesus brought about a new and better covenant. So it's... It, the old covenant had to happen, but he brought about a new and better way through him. Where we're not, we're not entering into the Holy of Holies with the blood of bulls and calves like we did in, in, in the old days. But through Jesus, we're entering in to the, uh, through the blood of Jesus. He died one time and for all. And, uh, of course, I don't want to get into a big, uh, big um, uh, sermon on the book of Hebrews. But that's what's so great about the book of Hebrews. Same thing. He's having the same conversation with him. He's saying, listen... You can't make sacrifices for your sin anymore. Jesus Christ made one sacrifice for everyone, and he sat down because he was finished. But he also goes in there saying, but priests, meaning Old Testament priests, they had to stand ministering daily, meaning their job, their work was never done. They were constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it appeased the wrath of God for a moment, but not for forever. But when Jesus came, he appeased the wrath of God towards humans forever for anyone who would accept that. And so this is the same argument that he's, that he's waging here at the church at Rome. So he says, um, verse 5, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? And he said, I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their, uh, their condemnation is just. And so that sounds really confusing unless you understand what's going on. And what's going on there is Paul and the rest of the apostles, they're going and they're preaching the gospel and people are getting saved and, and God's hand is certainly on this and this is growing and all these things. But you've got some of these people coming back and undermining what they're doing and saying, this is not of God, this is a sin and this, that and the other. And he's saying, 
do you honestly think that God would use a mistake, that he would use us saying unjust things to bring justification? And so he's trying to, to get them to understand what's going on there. And, uh, and it kind of says it in a little bit of a confusing way. Uh, verse eight, and why not say, let us do evil that God may come? He's being tongue in cheek there. Um, as we are slanderously reported, meaning people are slandering us and what we're doing, and some affirm that we say their condemnation is just, and meaning that, that they're saying that these people who are not obeying all these rules and regulations uh, of the Old Testament Jewish way, uh, that we're affirming that. He's like, we're not affirming uh, that, they're, that they're right. We're not affirming uh, that, that what they're doing is necessarily good or right. We're not affirming their sins. We're just preaching to them that Jesus came to forgive you of your sins, wash you clean in his blood. And so they're having a, a really hard time with this, uh, as you can tell. Verse nine, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. He said, so what you're saying is you're better than them that you don't sin and, and they do sin. He goes, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. He said, we have actually told both the Gentile and we've told both the Jew that we're all sinners and we all need saving. Um, verse 10, as it is written, there is none. He goes on. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. The, uh, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp uh, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, uh, and, they, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God be, before their eyes. And uh, basically, he's talking about humanity. He's saying, listen, we haven't preached that the Gentiles are perfect, and we certainly don't need to preach that the Jews are perfect. We've all sinned. And then he goes in there and listen, this is humanity right here. Because he wants them to see that no matter how many rules, no matter how many regulations, no matter how many um, uh, sacrifices we do, no matter how many rituals we do, we are all in sin, and we all need a Savior. Verse 19, now we, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And he goes on verse 22, I mean 21. Now this is where he begins. He's preaching them into a place where they understand that there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn righteousness with God. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Of course, all this may even sound elementary to us because we've been preached to, because we've lived in the, in the New Testament uh, dispensation of grace and mercy and forgiveness of sins. But back then, 
That was not the case. It was, it was hellfire and, uh, and condemnation and, and go, you go straight to hell. And if you lie to God, you're, the, the earth opens up and it swallows you. And if you're real bad, then God comes and completely destroys your city. And even if your wife turns back to look at the city that God's destroying, she turns into a pillar of salt. I mean, it was, it was devastating. I mean, the, the Red Sea opens up and swallows up a whole nation. Uh, um, you know, I mean, uh, the 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 Pharaoh would not release God's people and the firstborn of every household that didn't have the blood over the door, they all died. It was serious business. And that's the God that they know. And the God that they know, if you don't do everything right, I mean, right down to their worship services, people died in their worship services because they didn't worship right. You say they did? Yeah, the priest did. If the priest went in to the Holy of Holies and he did not do everything exactly the way God said to do it, he would drop dead in the presence of God. So you have to think that's the God they know. But the God that, that, that they need to know that Paul's beginning to show them, that's the same God that Paul, when he was Saul, that he, that's the reason why he persecuted the church so much. Because what he saw was people that used to be Jews blaspheming God. He thought he was doing right. He was going around uh, killing Christians and things because he saw Christians as people who were transgressors of the law. They weren't doing all the things that the law says to do, and they were, they were promoting this Jesus who, who died on a tree, and he knew that the Bible said, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. And so he knew that if, if Jesus died on a tree, then he's cursed, and there's no way that God could be cursed. You see the mindset? So the mindset was, they think this is blasphemous because the God that they've always known was a God who dealt with sin and dealt with things very swiftly. But the God that they need and the God that they need to know, it's not, the Bible says God is God and he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What changed? What changed? What changed was the sacrifice. Before it was a bull, it was a goat, it was a calf, it was an action. And it could only cover and protect you from God's wrath for a season. That's what it had to be doing over and over and over. But when Jesus stepped in as humanity's substitute, he's pure, he's spotless, he's the actual son of God, and he willingly died for his people. It wasn't, we're gonna read it in a minute, he wasn't just the atonement sin because all those other things were atonement sins which are temporary fixes. But it actually says Jesus became the propitiation of our sacrifice, meaning a perpetual. Perpetual means eternal sacrifice. And so when that happened and then Saul, who became the apostle Paul, met Jesus, and y'all remember that story, he says, who's you know, blinded me and knocked me off of my animal. He says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. When he met Jesus and he spent that time in the desert with Jesus, he comes back understanding grace and mercy and the blood of Jesus. And that is why he is going uh, to the Gentile nations. And that's why he's trying to preach to the Jews and saying, listen, everything you know uh, about the way God did business it all changed when Jesus died for us. And we all need to recognize and know that there's nothing that we could ever do to change the fact 
uh, that we're sinners. It doesn't matter how good you act. It doesn't matter how many of the rituals and how many of the, the righteous requirements you get down. You're going to, at the end of the day, you're going to break that law. And if you break that law, that law requires death. Unless you have Jesus because Jesus died for you. He already died that death and he, pay, he paid the price for you. And now because he paid the price for you, that's already paid for. It's, you can't, God's not going to take a double payment for somebody. Amen? If, if we're eating at a restaurant and I pay for your meal and you go up and you try to pay for it and they say, well, he already paid for it. Well, I know we did, but I'd like to at least try to pay for it myself. When, when, when you're trying to, I'm not telling you not to be a good person. I'm not trying to tell you not to pursue the things of God. I'm telling you to pursue those things. But I don't pursue those things because out of guilt and shame and condemnation that if I don't get it all right, I'm going to hell. Don't pursue it that way because you're going to fail utterly if you're pursuing the things of God out of fear of failing God. You've already failed God and Jesus has already paid the price for you to become someone who is perfect in God's eyes. Now, serve God that way. Serve God that way, not out of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Serve God out of gratitude and thanks and praise because you paid the price for me. Amen? This is what he's trying to get across. Verse 21. But now, so he said all that. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now, the righteousness of God, does it say with the law? It says apart from the law. So the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the righteousness that we're getting is not going to be through the law. It's going to be through faith in Jesus Christ. And watch this. It says, to all and on all who believe. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, these are such powerful words. This is the words that people in the world need to hear. This is what I needed to hear. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, man, I, I answered a bunch of altar calls. I answered a bunch of I don't want to go to hell altar calls. Anybody answer a bunch of those I don't want to go to hell altar calls? And I'm not saying they didn't do a little bit to help me straighten up and help me, oh, I don't want to go to hell. And so I'll go up there and, and, and not go, want to go. I mean, I was scared I was going to go to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell because they'd say every time, you need to get up here. Because you might walk out of here and get in your car and just die in a car wreck. And I'd go, oh God, if I did die in a car wreck, where would you go tonight? I don't know. And I'm not saying that that wasn't somewhat effective. But what I am saying is, I, I, I do believe, and I, and I don't know how to reconcile this. Maybe just because in my heart I really did love Jesus. And I really didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> But I know the day that I really got saved. Can I say it that way? And it was different than the days I, I answered scary altar calls. It was different. I didn't know any better the other way. 
And I'm thoroughly convinced that, yes, I, I would have probably went to heaven. And the reason why I say probably is because I, I just always remember the thief on the cross. Because the thief on the cross, he just said, hey, um, wherever you're going, just remember me when you get there. And Jesus said, I'll do better than that. You're coming with me today. That's all God needed. Remember me. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. Did he? It's not recorded if he did. He, he didn't walk the altar. He didn't shake the preacher's hand. He's nailed to a cross next to Jesus. And he says, all he said, what one guy was mocking him, the other guy said, I believe in who you really are. And wherever you're going today, just, just keep me in, in your memory. Because I don't know where I'm going is basically what he was saying. And he says, well, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. So I, I believe that my, my heart was right in, in what I was doing. But it was different the day that I feel like I truly received Christ. And the day that I truly received Christ, I was at a church at my dad's house in Mobile, Alabama. It was this little bitty full gospel church. And I always tell this story just because I, I want you to know it, it wasn't because of the lights. It wasn't because of the music. It wasn't because of anything. It was because of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of the building. It was an old brick building. And the people that were in there, although they were sweet, they were probably the most uncool people. It's like all the uncool people in the world, all 15 uncool people in the world, they all met up at this one church, and that's where they went. They were not cool. They were not flashy. They were, they were, they were a little bit of the rejects, you know? And I'm not making fun of them. I'm just letting you know I'm, I'm, I'm like 14, 15 years old, and I want everything that I'm a part of to be cool. And if it's not cool, I don't want to be a part of it. But I was in there, and I don't even know what songs we were singing. But in my opinion, I wasn't raised in church. They weren't cool songs. They were, I went to the enemy camp, and I took back what they stole from me. It was, look what the Lord has done. It was those things like that. They were just good hand-clapping songs, and that's what I was doing. I was clapping my hands, and I was singing to the songs, and I closed my eyes, and my mouth kept singing, and my hands kept clapping. But all of a sudden, it was like I was drawn away. And all of a sudden, I was standing, and I didn't see, I'm not going to tell you, I saw Jesus because I didn't see Jesus, but I knew Jesus was there. And he said, if you walked out of here and got in a car wreck, where would you go tonight? No, that's not what he said. <laughs> he said, I just remember it so plainly, he said, can I move in and live in here today? And of course, I remember thinking to myself, well, I thought you were already here. <laughs> but then I, you know, my, my response was, yes, Lord. Yes, please. And I didn't tell anybody. that It was all during praise and worship. I didn't tell anybody anything. But after the church service, the pastor's wife, and, and of course, I'm 14, so, so everybody over 50 I thought was 80 years old. So she looked like she was 80, 90 years old to me. And she played the piano or the organ or something. And she came up to me after service and she didn't ask if I wanted to get saved. She didn't ask. She looked at me and she said, you want to get baptized tonight? And I said, yes, ma'am. She knew something happened. And, and Paul is trying to get these people to understand that you cannot any longer serve God from a ritualistic mindset. That this is a God who wants to be known and wants you to know him. 
This is a God that wants to move in you. He wants to lead and guide your life by his Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And of course, you got to understand that there was these letters were being written. They weren't compiled into a Bible at this time. This book of Romans was, was a letter to the Romans. It wasn't a book. It was a letter to the Romans. So, so this had, I mean, yes, the Old Testament was manuscripts, but it had not been compiled like we have it today. And so they would pass these letters from church to church, and they would read them to the church, but they were coming from the apostles, but written by God, written by God through them. But you have to understand, he was writing the requirements of the law on their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And he, he still does the same thing today. And I'm not, I'm not negating the word. This is where I've learned all this. It's in the word of God. But you also have to begin to serve God by the Holy Spirit in you with, in conjunction with the word of God. And I'll, I'll, I'll preface that statement by saying, if the Holy Spirit ever says something to you that's not backed up by the word of God, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was either you or another spirit. I'll just leave it at that. But let's keep going on. Um, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, that's the perpetual sacrifice, by his sin, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Going to verse uh, 27, got a little bit of time. We'll finish up this chapter. And he goes in, he says, where is boasting then? Like I said, kind of a tongue-in-cheek rhetorical question. It is excluded by what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So he makes these big statements. Really, it started in chapter 3. Again, this is a whole letter, so it's hard to kind of break it up. He's making these entire statements, and then he's giving you the conclusion of all those. He's argued the one part, and he's argued the other part, and then he's bringing this conclusion in. It says, where is the boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, or Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So Paul brings so much balance. He goes all the way around to try to dislodge the Jewish people from the fact that they could ever be saved through the law. And that it's by Jesus Christ only. But when he comes back around, he says, but does that mean 
that because we're not justified by the law that we do away with the law. He says, no, we're going to serve God to establish the law. And I think if you see somebody's life that truly serves after, uh, seeks after God and serves God, I would never say they're perfect because nobody is perfect, but you can see the fruit of their life is that God's law is being established in their life. Not, perf not perfection, but that God's law is being established in life. And what is God's law that he wants established in someone's life above everything? That's the New Testament law of love. That's what he wants established. And to me, the fruit of someone truly serving God is that they have the fruit of the, of the love of God in their life. And, it, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, almost everything that you'll study, especially in the New Testament, almost everything that you'll study, if you study it long enough, it's gonna always come back to love, to the love of God, almost every time. I don't, I, I don't tell you, if I've ever, uh, some, some subjects take longer than others, but almost everything that I've ever studied in the Bible, if I study it long enough, I'll start right here, and by the time I make it around, I'm, I'm, I'm ending up right back on the love of God, on pursuing the love of God, I'm walking in the love of God, on how much God loves me and how much God loves you and all those different things. But Paul here brings so much balance to it because what, what's going on is the Gentiles are wanting Paul to back them up and say, yeah, tell all the Jewish leaders that they're wrong. And so Paul tells them they're wrong. And then the Jewish people are saying, tell all the Gentiles that they're wrong. And then Paul tells them they're wrong. And then he comes back in and he brings this balance to it and saying, listen, you're not ever gonna receive salvation uh, by works. You're not ever gonna receive salvation by, uh, by law. You're not perfect. You, were, you, you never were perfect. And, and the only thing that can perfect you is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, believing on him, believing on the sacrifice, receiving the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, receiving the blood on your life that Jesus made for you. But we're also not gonna do away with the law. We're not gonna say it's a free-for-all because if someone has accepted Jesus Christ in their life and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of them and they're walking out the word of God and they're not doing away with the law, they actually begin to establish the law. Amen? Is that okay? Is that good? Stand up on your feet. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.